Uh, so we're in the middle of our Lost series, and uh, it's if you haven't been here, welcome, Josh. Hey, Josh. Josh is flying in from England. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, and... And it's all about, we're talking about the loss, the loss. And uh, the, this was birthed out of the teaching team just got such a heart for, um, we've been giving great teaching and spiritual teaching and stuff. And then we were thinking, but we, we haven't taught much on the lost and, and building a heart for the lost and things like that. So that's where the teaching um, is coming from, a heart of that. And I'm, and my mum will testify, very good at losing things and... Uh, my most recent one was I lost my wedding ring. I've found it again. Uh, it was under the hairspray can. And I lost my Bible that is just, I just love this Bible. Luke gave it to me for my 21st. It's got all my notes. I just love it. And I was devastated, lost that. It was under Luke's car seat. So that's been found. But um, probably the most valuable thing I've lost in the last few months, and people would know about this, was my passport. I lost my passport. I'd had it. It was a new one. I'd had it for about a month and then I lost it. Uh, So uh, I realized that I'd lost it about three days before I needed to fly out to Hawaii. I proudly went to Luke. Um, Luke, where's where's your passport? He goes, oh, I don't know where my passport is. And I went to my bedside table and, well, here's mine. And I opened it up and there's a big photo of Luke in it. And, uh, And so this triggered panic throughout the house and uh, there was many text messages to my family do you have my passport I was calling my head teacher is my passport at the school office he's like what are you talking about no no so panic is going through the household I'm ripping everything up I get a knock at the door and Lisa's at my door because she's heard about my catastrophe and so she's uh she's helping me find this passport we are ripping my car apart my house apart uh we're in separate rooms and every now and then I hear Lisa remind the Lord of um you know where it is and now would be a good time to fill us in it got more colorful as the hours went on and uh Yelling at the Lord, I considered defeat and I called the passport office and I said, I've lost my passport. What am I? It was Friday afternoon and they said, Oh, well, I, I'm sorry, there's nothing we can do till Monday morning. I said, Oh, okay, great. Um, so, flying out Tuesday, getting a, uh, an appointment Monday morning. And so, first thing Monday morning, I am there, ready to go. And I get there and up comes the screen, Jessica, yes, me, go, up I go. And, um, and she goes, uh, do you have your paperwork with you? I could tell it was going downhill from here. Uh, paperwork? What, what paperwork? Oh, well, you should have been told that you should have been printing off some paperwork and bringing it in. I should have been told that, but I didn't, I didn't have that. And uh, she goes, oh, well, how about your birth certificate? You got a birth certificate? No, I, I, no. Well, where is your birth certificate? I, I don't have one. What, what do you mean you don't have one? I, I'm just not that kind of person. I don't have a birth certificate. And she goes, oh, no. Well, you would have, maybe, you maybe would have got there in time if you'd had the paperwork and the birth certificate, but now I don't like your chances. And I just said, look, Carol, tell me... 
what do you need me to do? And she points to the paperwork. She goes and runs through this whole list of things that I need to do. And she goes, good luck. I'm like, thank you. I race out like a crazy woman. I ring birth, deaths and marriages. And I'm like, do you have an appointment? I need to get a birth certificate really quick. Yes, we've got an appointment. I race in there and I get there and I'm like, hi, I really need a birth certificate quick. And she's no problem at all. I'm like, I like you better. And, um, and she goes, can I have your name and your license, please? Sure. Jessica Clayton, there's my license. Can I have a valid driver's license, please? I went, sorry? She goes, that one's out of date. I said, no, that's my valid driver's license. She goes, well, considering five months ago it went out of date, that's not your driver's license. I'm like, oh, my gosh. This is my life. Uh, anyway... Uh, okay, how do, I, how do I prove to you that I am Jessica Clayton? So we went through the rigmarole, whatever. Finally proved that I was who I was. Got a birth certificate, paid for that. Great. Got to find a guarantor now. Okay, so first mistake, I ring Beachy, who's just come off night shift. Bad mistake. He hasn't slept, and so he didn't help me out. Um, and then... And then I found Meg. She was in a cafe. I was like, I need someone who's not my family, who's known me for years, who has a passport, doesn't know, uh, that knows where it would be and is not at work. So Meg fills out all my paperwork for me. Thank you, Meg. Wonderful. Great. Let's go. I go to leave the cafe and I'm doing a U-turn across the road and my car stops. And I just like, what is, why, 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 why? And I'm yelling at my engine and it starts again. Great. Off we go. So I drive unlicensed back to the passport office. And I get there, I'm like, I triumphantly put all the papers down. I'm like, there you go, done it. And through pursed lips, she doesn't look as convinced as I was. And she's looking and she's looking. Okay, great. Do you have an ID? Well, here we go. There's my license. Um, do you really? Yes, I know, it's out of date. <laughs> Tina told me back at the other office. <laughs> do you have any other ID? So I give her my old, old passport and she goes off and do that. Great, I see them nodding. Great, this looks up. She comes back, she goes, oh, very good. One last thing. Yes, Carol, what is it? Is your middle name Patricia or Patrika? So what do, you, what do you mean? Is it Patricia or Patrika? It's not Patrika. She goes, well, it is on your birth certificate. And I'm like, oh, Gazy and her epidural has put my name as Patrika on my birth certificate. So here I am. My name is Jessica Patrika Louise Clayton. And everything else is saying, Patricia, she goes, well, you're going to have to go and do a stat deck and change your name legally this morning. I'm like, this is never ending. So I finally get, I changed my name. I'm now Jessica Patricia Louise Clayton. Okay. Um, and, and I get there and finally put it all down. All right. Great. What do I need to do? She's like, that'll be $472 and I don't like your chances of getting it tomorrow. I'm like, that's fine. Just take it. Uh, a big saga of a story. I know. Actually, the next day, oh no, during this saga, this is, is Luke in the room? No. Um, <laughs> he, <laughs> he's pacing down the hallway and I'm in the room crying. Okay, he's pacing down the hallway and he just goes, 
we can't live like this anymore. (laughs) We're nearly 30, Jess. Anyway, I'm like, I don't need to hear this right now. That was my favourite comment of the story. Anyway, I got my passport in under two hours that day. Hallelujah. And, uh, and I got to Hawaii and that's great. Huge saga of a story, but it's to illustrate that I went to whatever lengths it was going to take me to get back that which was lost. And I constantly ask, what do you need me to do? Where do you need me to go? What price do you need me to pay? I will do anything for you, Carol. And she just was, and I just wanted to get back that which was lost. And this is the same way in which Jesus calls us to treat the lost of our world. That we would seek out the lost What is it going to cost, God? Where do you need me to go, God? Who do I need to speak to, God? I will go anywhere. I will do anything to reach out and seek that which is lost. And Jesus taught this and we see him, um, he gives a few parables, like the parable of the lady and the lost coin. And she just looks everywhere for this coin and, and she celebrates when she finds it. But he was going, that's what it's like for me. When I find some, a child of mine comes home, that's what it's like. And our theme verse for the, for the uh, series is Luke 19.10. It says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And that was his mission. That was, if he had a job description, that's what it was. You are to go and seek and save the lost. And I love that Jesus left us with a co-mission, the Great Commission. We are meant to co-mission with him on this seeking and saving the lost. In Matthew 28, 19, it says, Go out and make disciples of everyone you meet, far and near. In this way of life, marking them by baptism in the threefold name, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Then instruct them in the practice of all I've commanded you. I'll be with you as you do this, day after day after day, right up until the end of the age. So Jesus' job description was to go and to seek and save the lost. Our commission and our job description as Christians is to seek and save the lost. That is what we're called to do above anything else, above any other ministry that we might express ourselves through. Salvation is the ultimate goal for the lost of this world. Throughout the series, we, um, we've been discreetly working through, John Maxwell has five statements about the lost. And uh, it hasn't been explicit. We've just kind of weaved it into our teaching. And the first one was, Uh, that the lost, most of the lost, don't have a correct view of God. And we heard uh, Darren speak about that, the way Zacchaeus uh, viewed God. And number two was uh, that the lost need to be unconditionally loved. Unconditionally loved. And this week, I'll be speaking about that most lost people won't come to church for help. This is one of John Maxwell's third statement about the lost, that most lost people won't come to the church for help. 
And so my question is, if most people won't come to the church for help, what are you and I going to do about those people? Is it okay that they don't come and we just leave them out there? And will our answer, if when God says, what did you do when I told you to go out into all the world? You know that job description I gave you, go out in all the world. And your reply is, well, they didn't come to me. It's not going to cut it. If we look at the first lost people in the Bible, Adam and Eve didn't make it very far. Adam and Eve, our first lost people in the Bible. Uh, They were created in God's image. They walked in closeness with God. They had deep relationship with God. And then all of a sudden, when Eve was uh, confronted with the question, did God really say that? And she began to have an incorrect view of God and his goodness and his mercy. She fell into sin. And, And the moment that they sinned, they began to hide from God. They hid, they covered themselves. And what's God's response to the first lost people of the world? He seeks them out. Where are you, Adam? Where where are you? And our response to lost people need to mirror that of the Father, that we would not wait for them to come out of hiding and come from their uncovering and go, oh, now you've come for help, have you? We need to seek them out and go, where are you? Where are Not walking the streets going, where are you? You look like a real silly person. But that we would, in our spirit, continually be asking Jesus, where are they? Where, is, where, where, where do you need me to be? What do you need me to do? What conversation do I need to be engaged in? What price do you need me to pay? I love this quote by uh, Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest theologians of our time and one of the most challenging quotes. Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Every Christian's either a missionary or an imposter. You cannot carry the nature of Christ and disregard the lost. Um, Bill Hybels says this if your relationship with God is growing, not your knowledge of God or your leadership skills or your church or or your friend group, or your credibility. But if your relationship with God is growing, your concern and the passion for the lost should be increasing. How's your passion for the lost? How's that going? Do you care? How's the passion for the lost? And it's, I know, I I come to a Christian church I married a Christian man. I have a Christian family. I work in a Christian workplace. It's hard to run into lost people these days. (laughs) And we need to set up and deliberately live our lives that we would encounter lost people. If it means not going to every single group that's on the calendar, so be it. Meet your neighbour. Take them for dinner. Go, go into the regular cafe every time and get to know that barista's name, that they would get to know you, that it wouldn't be every conversation is, can I tell you the whole gospel, but you can tell them that your name and you can get to know them incrementally. 
Because our mission is not to just increase our tribe, but to increase the souls that are going to be in heaven, not just on earth within this building. And our passion needs to be increasing. There's a story in John 5. Uh, it's called the, the Pool of Beth... I say it wrong. What did you say? You say it like that? All right. Bethesda is what the pronunciation on YouTube said. But um, I'm right? Oh, good. No, Pam's going, oh, oh, right. The pool. (laughs) All right. Soon after, let's read this story. Do we have it, Cam? Ta-da. Soon after, soon another feast came around and Jesus was back in Jerusalem. Near the Sheep Gate in Jerusalem, there was a pool in Hebrew called Bethesda. Can we go with that? Five alcoves, hundreds of sick people, blind, crippled, paralyzed, were in these alcoves. One man had been an invalid there for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and stretched out by the pool and he knew how long he'd been there, he said, do you want to get well? The sick man said, sir, When the water's stirred, I don't have anybody to put me in the pool. By the time I get there, somebody else is already in. may sound like an unusual story, and I guess it is. Uh, This was set around a pool where sick people would be put and dumped and left. And it was believed that an angel would come by every now and then, and stir the waters. And when the waters were stirred, the first person to get in that water would be healed. This was the belief. Uh, and, and Jesus comes along to that pool, knowing exactly what it was, knowing exactly why they were there. And he comes to the man who's been there for 38 years, lying by this pool. And Jesus would have known what was wrong with him. He would have known his sickness. He would have known the details and the pain. And and he doesn't walk in and just go, oh, well, you're crippled and point out what's wrong with him. But he gets down and he's like, do you want to get well? He engages in in the desire of his heart. And it seems like an obvious question To us, of course he wants to get well, he's by the pool, but Jesus takes the time to ask him about what he wants, takes the time to look at him. And it's interesting that the imagery in this story, I love that they say that the pool is by the sheep gate, which makes me think about a parable that Jesus told in the story in um, Luke 15, where he tells the story about the lost sheep. And he says, by this time, a lot of men and women of doubtful reputation were hanging around Jesus, listening intently. The sinners found Jesus attractive. The Pharisees and religion scholars were not pleased and not pleased at all. They growled, he takes in sinners and eats meals with them, treating them like old friends. Their grumbling triggered this story. Suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and lost one. Would you leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the lost one until you found it? When you found it, you'd be sure 
to put it across your shoulders, rejoicing. And when you got home, call in all your friends and neighbours saying, celebrate with me. I have found my lost sheep. Count on it. There is more joy in heaven over one sinner's rescued life than over the 99 good people in no need of rescue. This man was outside the sheep gate. He wasn't in with the flock. And the flock's good. Jesus is coming back for his church. This is good that we would come and encourage and worship and pray. But this church gathering is not the pinnacle of our Christian life. This is the place of encouraging and empowerment that we would get together, get vision, get unity, go out, come back, redo it again, that we would be able to encourage each other in the work of the Lord. This here is not just the work of the Lord. Out there the work starts. In here we are encouraged, fed, taught, inspired, anointed and breathed upon to go out and do the work of the Lord. And this man is outside of the sheep gate. Outside of the flock, he is not in where, where it's safe. He is by the pool, cripple, lying alone. And his response is, I have no man to put me in. I'm so glad Jesus' response wasn't, oh, sure, there are heaps of people who would help you. If you head down Jerusalem Drive there, hang a right, then a left, and then it's tucked away in a little cul-de-sac back there covered by bushes. In there, if you go in and join a little group and you attend and they start to get to know you and you can tell them all the things about you, then you'll be able to ask, could they help you? They'll come down and help for sure. He was right There, Jesus could help because he was there. And he was outside of the sheep gate. Another thing about the story is that Bethesda actually means mercy. Means mercy. So here's a sick and crippled man who can't actually help himself lying by a pool saying, I have no one to show me to mercy. I really want to get there, but I've got no one to show me. I've got no one to help me and lift me into that mercy. And we have a whole world outside of the sheep gate to spiritually sick, cripple, paralyzed, blind, lame, laying in in sin and darkness and not knowing what to do. They know that they want to get well, but they have no one to show them to the mercy of God. Will anybody show me to the mercy? I have no man who'll come outside that sheep gate and just lift me into mercy. I need to know the mercy of God. That's when I'll be healed. And there's a whole generation of people crying that out while we sit and worship. And that's wonderful. But we need to go out and, and do the work of Jesus to seek and save the lost. Is there anyone who will show the lost to mercy? Anyone? And had Jesus not passed by, custom tells me that that man would have died there. And I don't want to be dramatic this morning. But my Bible tells me that 46 times Jesus says this, that those who are not saved are going to hell. That 
That's what happens to lost people. We need to shift our eyes to eternity. And when, when we ask, what does it cost? It might cost reputation. When we ask, where do we need to go? It might cost comfort. And it might actually cost you financially or it might cost you emotionally and it might cost you some sleep and it might cost you all these comfort things that we are so accustomed to. But commission comes before comfort. We need to put the mission of seeking and saving the lost before our comfort. We were never guaranteed safety and comfort in this mission. Have a look at all the disciples. They had horrible lives, really. But we're still reading about them and inspired by them and gleaning off them because they did whatever it took to seek and save the lost. In James 5.20, it says, Remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover a multitude of sins. In Colossians 4, we see Paul, he's, he's in prison. And this is what he writes back to the Colossians. Pray diligently. Now, if you didn't read on, you'd probably think he wants to get out of jail. Pray, I'm in jail. But he goes, pray diligently. Stay alert with your eyes wide open in gratitude. Don't forget to pray for us that God would open doors, not the doors of the prison, but doors for telling the mystery of Christ. Even while I'm locked in this jail, pray that every time I open my mouth, I'll be able to make Christ plain as day to them. Use your head as you live and work among outsiders. Don't miss a trick. Make the most of every opportunity. Be gracious in speech. The goal is to bring out the best in others in a conversation, not put them down and not cut them out. Even in chains, Paul was crying out for opportunities that he would be able to share the gospel. He knew God would take care of the chains himself. He'd take care of the chains when he needed him to. But his job, even in suffering, even in chains, was to share the gospel And so often we get into life circumstances and think, when this is over, when this pain passes, I'll be able to really, really give my all to that mission, God. When this relationship's mended, I'll be able to give my all. When I've got my this or that or whatever it is, then I'll be able to give my all. We need to be on mission right in the middle of the pain. Be ready in and out of season. In the good and the bad, we are called to seek and save the lost. And if you're thinking, I have no idea how to do that. I have no idea. That sounds like an enormous life change for me. We can take a look at Paul's example. We can start small. He says, one, pray diligently for opportunities. If that's your first step, this week to seeking and saving the lost, that you'd put a little post-it on your mirror and pray diligently for opportunities to seek and save the lost. Pray diligently. Stay alert. Make the most of opportunities. Ask the Holy Spirit, what am I doing here? Why am I stuck at these lights? Why is this petrol line not moving now? Is there anybody around that you just need me to smile at? 
What have you got me in this grocery line for? What did you, why did that customer have to come to me? Ask the Holy Spirit. What do you need me to do here? I'm alert. Eyes open. I'll make the most of every opportunity here. He says, add value to people. Add value to people. John Maxwell says that every day he deliberately drops God thoughts. Positive God thoughts. Just little things that you can make somebody think about and encourage them with. And lastly, he says, show grace. Jesus could have walked into that pool and gone, lame, blind, cripple, oh, not even, nah, not even doing that. Our job is not to point fingers to the lost, but also inside the church. Let's not do that. Let's not point out each other's weaknesses and failures. Let us show grace. Show grace. Let the mercy of God cover all of our iniquities. And within our conversations with the lost, build them up. If they start complaining, point out something great. Say something nice. Find something nice to say. Timothy Keller says this is the first step in sharing your faith. If you think it's a daunting thing, he says the most basic thing you can do is let people know you go to church and that your faith is important to you. That's one step closer to them actually thinking you might be an atheist. Just let them know you go to church. It's a simple way. That might open doors for further conversations in a few months, in a few years. But that's the most simplest way. It is not our job to be the world's greatest evangelists. But we need to be available in every moment of our lives. Asking God, where do you need me to be? What do you need me to do? And what's the cost that you need me to pay? This is our mission, church. And this has been heavy on my heart. (sighs) Because I need to repent that I haven't done it so well. I give my all into my study and preaching and running young adults and, and all this stuff. But I don't know how often I look and try and just seek out the lost. And I believe all of us need to check and ask the Holy Spirit, how am I going on this? Do I care that people are going to hell? And uh, Phil, if you'd come. The Lord really spoke to me about starting the message on our knees this morning. He spoke to me heavy about that and I was sitting there going, oh, that's going to be so dumb. I'm not going to do that. And then Darren said, we're all going to be on our knees in his prayer. I don't even know if he said that. I went, all right, I got it. (laughs) But he also spoke about getting on our knees at the end for a totally different thing. And this isn't for everyone. This is a personal choice. But to pray a prayer of one, repentance, and two, radical dedication to seeking and saving the lost. That if it means not doing the way, doing things the way it's always been done, that's okay. If it means that you'll have a few friends that 
smell a little or you, they really take it out of you, that's okay. That's a cost that we're called to pay. We're not called to live in comfort, but called to be Christ's ambassadors. And this morning, if you'd stand with me, I really, this is not a, a yes, yeah, stand. <laughs> this is not, I don't want this to be an emotional thing and then you forget tomorrow. I want you to make this soberly and wholeheartedly that you go, I know, Lord, I need to repent because I have been on my own mission. Sure, I've done things that bring you glory, but I need to be on your mission. I need to co-mission with you. So one, for a prayer of repentance and two, for a radical dedication of seeking and saving the lost. And if that's you this morning, I'd love if you'd come and kneel here at the altar. If you pray with me, church. Those of you that are de- dedicating your life to radical dedication for the seek, to seek and save the lost, would you pray this with me? Dear Lord Jesus, I am coming to you holy and submitted. Forgive me of my past for ignoring the lost. Break my heart for lost souls. Break my heart for lost souls. Open my eyes to eternity. And I today commit my whole life to seeking and saving the lost. Never let me go a day without seeking and saving the lost. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Now I want you to pray, those of you on your knees, pray your own prayer of absolute dedication and open your mouth, speak it out, that we would be declaring that we forever will seek and save the lost. Holy Spirit, if those of you in the band are not kneeled down, if you are, that's fine, but would you come? Holy Spirit, we commit our lives fully and wholly to You, Jesus. That You are the only way, You are the only truth, that Yours is the only hope of salvation. Jesus, we fix our eyes upon eternity. Lord, break our hearts again, that we would be passionate. Do not let us leave this altar until our hearts are changed to love the lost like you love them, a supernatural love like never before. Lord, that we would be able to go immeasurably more than we have before, that any cost that needs to be counted, you'd give us the strength to do it. Lord, that we would seek commission over comfort, that Lord, in the face of evil, we we would shine light and in the darkness we would stand for the name of Jesus Christ. Then we would lift up victory over every circumstance. I pray over everyone here as they walk into rooms, anointing would flow, that there would be conversations that are orchestrated by heaven that have never been done before. I pray that spiritual gifts of evangelism that have not been tapped into yet would be released this morning. God, that there would be a boldness and I, do, I talk to fear and I ask you to Believe in the name of Jesus. You are not to be dwelling with inside this Christ followers. We will boldly go out into the world and love like we've never loved. That we would show grace like we've never shown grace. That we would be people who would show people to the mercy of Jesus Christ. 
Father God, anoint every single person here on their knees, crying out for a radical dedication to seek and save the lost. Holy Spirit, that You would come and do a work. Jesus, we give our lives again. We give our lives again, Holy Spirit. Jesus, 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 we love You.